three, two, one. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have two very special guests, people who I've become a fan of. I heard them on the Tinfoil Hat podcast. They have a podcast themselves titled The Propaganda Report, an excellent podcast. I highly recommend people check that out. Their names are Monica Perez and Brad Binkley. And I originally, about a month ago or two, asked them to be on my show and talk about the Mueller Report. But there have been so many uh, developments recently with Epstein and all this. We're probably going to cover a few topics. And they were curious about uh, picking my brain about the smiley face killings and my documentary as well. So we're going to cover a few topics. I highly recommend you guys check out their podcast and material. Brad also has a YouTube channel, but they can also promote their show a little bit more uh, in just a sec. So Monica and Brad, are you there? Yes. yes. Sir. Awesome. Thank you for agreeing to the interview. I'm glad that uh, this is taking place. For people who don't know your name or your podcast, can you guys talk a little bit about your background and how you became interested and what your approach is? Like, I really loved your approach about uh, identifying, analyzing, and critically assessing talking points and propaganda and media and all types of media, whether it's corporate media, political uh statements or things in court so if you can talk a little bit about that as well that'd be great why should i kick it off yeah i i have a terrestrial radio show on wsb in atlanta it's a call-in show saturday afternoons if people want to listen on iHeartRadio and actually get on the show it's got a good listenership it's very mainstream audience so it's interesting and over doing that for a while, Binkley was a listener and um, a local talent, and he called me, uh, emailed me, and we got together. He's now, he produces my radio show, and then we also decided to do a podcast once a week. So you, if you want to just listen to that WSB show, you can listen to it on Wednesdays. We post it on the prop report. Dot com, But on Thursdays, we our podcast, which we co-host, is The Propaganda Report, and we both talk about basically the stories that are in the news, but peeling away the propaganda and the agenda elements of it and just telling you why it's important because, because it's not there if it isn't meant to influence you or institute a policy or engineer society. And then uh, we so we do those and we continue to do those. But we found a real need for a kind of daily approach. You hear a lot of we both we work at this mainstream terrestrial radio station and you get that people will listen just for the news. But wouldn't it be nice to have news from a perspective of truth and liberty and individual justice, that kind of a perspective without all the propaganda. And so we have now committed to doing that every single day by drive time. So we put out 30 minutes of news without the propaganda, without the BS called drive time prop, your drive time prop, which we put out by four o'clock Eastern every day, every weekday. And, and you can get that, all of that at thepropreport.com. It's a lot of stuff, but we've got, we just, there's so much material. It never stops coming. So we decided to analyze it and share it as much as we possibly can. There's an unbelievable amount of propaganda. And you asked about, uh, approach. My approach is I, I just always try, try to ask, why are they showing it to us? What impact are they trying to have on, on their, their audience? And what are they, what actions are they trying to compel? What thoughts and actions are they trying to compel people to do? I, I think about it from a propaganda aspect. I've studied a lot of Edward Bernays and a lot of old, old propaganda, communist propaganda. Uh, and yeah, I just kind of try to analyze it through that filter. And I mean, I appreciate that because some of these people are not calling what these political parties are saying propaganda or like you actually use the term mind control, Brad, which, you know, I think is really true. I think they're really trying to shape yeah. and control their audience, their group or whatever. So, um, what are you, what's, I mean, maybe the best thing to talk about is Epstein. What are you guys thoughts about Epstein and the reporting and what, you know, people want to know? Do you guys have any thoughts on that? You can, you can launch that one, Finkley. <laughs> That is – Monica nailed this. We both hovered around this right when it came out. Uh, Monica, she, she nailed it I think more dead on is that the issue is to put conspiracy theories up in the in the news because they're demonizing conspiracy theories right now. And right before that happened, the FBI had 
labeled conspiracy theories as uh, a domestic terrorist group, and then they just they baited everybody with this this Epstein story. It was automatically as this Trump uh, body count, Clinton body count, this competing kind of dialectic, and I I, I think that. Personally, I don't know if he's dead. I don't know if he's alive. I don't know if he's a witness of protection. I don't know what happened. I think the impact of this is going to be more about how they are uh, taking control over the information and demonizing conspiracy theorists. And it's a beautiful way to keep you from actually pulling on any real threat. I mean, it's it's almost like they preemptively flooded the market with disinformation and what um, – and what Cass Sunstein in his famous memo, Conspiracy Theory, called counter-misinformation, which <laughs> isn't truth at all. I mean, they don't even pretend that it's truth. But they got ahead of this Epstein thing so that they made the conspiracy theories themselves the story. And obviously, right. there's nonsense going on. There's no no narrative here isn't a, a sign that the Epstein story is terribly scandalous. Justice won't be done. People are getting away with probably murder not just Epstein but other people are dead then then all we're going to talk about all we're going to do is argue about the details of of which conspiracy without being like it doesn't matter this is awful like this is what we've come to there's no justice there's no truth I believe we pulled six stories the day after Epstein died that were specifically focused on how terrible the, the conspiracy theories have taken over, and it's just and they relate it to Trump, and they basically make it if you're a conspiracy theorist, you're a white nationalist at this point. Right, interesting. Like that's the new term, right? White supremacist. Yeah. So we got off of the racist to the white supremacist. Um, Which, yeah, I feel like they finally brought uh, identity politics to the right. I mean, it took them like half a century, <laughs> right. but they finally figured out a way to do it. And, I mean, what do you think this reporting will be? Will it always just be demonizing people who do not accept the uh, standard statements that, that Epstein commits suicide, that that's, that was the predicate, was this FBI? Do you think that the FBI statement is intentionally was intentionally dropped before Epstein died? Does that make sense? Um, no, I think, I think, oh, what doing, you mean the, yeah, the stuff conspiracy about theory. the, yeah. Um, oh, go ahead, Monica. They're oh. just trying to chill. I know for the conspiracy theory stuff, for me, it's, they're trying to chill people. They're trying to put people in jail. They're trying to button up all questioning of official narratives, not about Epstein necessarily, but about anything yeah yeah generally either like they're switching to domestic terrorism so they're trying to keep us from defending our rights our constitutional rights their background checks red flag laws even to the extent that we may be marching to an unjustified foreign war binkley nailed that a long time ago they need to shut people up who do not believe the official narrative. I call it unpatriotic facts. They are not allowed. And this yeah. is, I don't, I think the Epstein is just a vehicle for them to launch a broader attack on people who question authorities, news, mainstream media. I think the Epstein thing is just, it, they usually multitask. Like if you read the report from Iron Mountain, they talk about they multitask in psyops, psychological operations. So the Epstein thing is multitask on many, many levels. And I think the conspiracy, it is part of the conspiracy theory attack, which is a larger operation. Yeah, Bernays talks about multitasking too, uh, a multifaceted approach uh, to propaganda. Uh, prior to World War II, World War One, similar patterns happened where any information that could that could not be controlled, they tried to wrangle it in or they tried to discredit it, and then the whole process was they would demonize somebody and any information that did not fit into the narrative. Like you could be on the left or you could be on the right. That's fine. You could be on one of those competing sides, but you could not question the basic assumptions. And once you start questioning the basic assumptions, that's that's the stuff they don't like, and that's the stuff that they want to silence. And they've, they've folded in Russia into this story as well. Russia, they're blaming anybody who tweets out the hashtag Clinton body count. Uh, is spreading Russian propaganda. That's what they say, which is a ridiculous thing. It's absolutely ridiculous right. to say that. Clinton body count has been around for a long, long time. Um, so they're demonizing Russia. They're trying to silence people who ask questions. It's not necessarily the left or the right. It's people who ask questions, and I, I think they're doing it, like Monica said, to uh, control the information leading up to probably some sort of foreign war here in the next few years. 
Fascinating. I mean, that is the intent. Iran is the last kind of target in the Middle East. So, uh, you know. But it's a big one. It's a big one, yeah. It's not, that's not going to be, you're not going to be able to button that up easily. I mean, they struggled with Syria. They, they're not, you know, I don't know how they're. Well, so, uh, so, so this process is actually according to you, Brad, it's been taking place all the way back to Bernays was what, 1930s, 1940s? 1917, 1918. Wow. Okay. So that early. So was Bernays active in World War One? Bernays was, that's when he got his start is in the Committee on Public Information, the United States first mass scale organized propaganda machine. So yeah, he was young then. He was in, he was a propagandist for the government and for big business for 80 years. Wow. That's amazing. And he, he was the nephew of Freud too, right? Wasn't he a relative? Yeah. yeah so mm-hmm. he, used, he used Freud's theories and uh, he, that's how he kind of got himself into circles as he leveraged that. Is that I'm, hi, I'm Freud's nephew. Edward Bernays. Fascinating. What was this famous book that he wrote? Propaganda. Propaganda was it. That's it. There you go. So the propaganda report. Um, he also wrote one called The Engineering of Consent, which is basically just like a, a blueprint for the propaganda model that we see today. Fascinating. And so so Epstein should be seen or can be perceived in this kind of larger uh, agenda to really kind of take any type of dissenting voices out. And I actually kind of see that happening in YouTube as well, where people are getting demonetized and mass and only authorized, uh, news media entities are being, uh, pushed. Have you guys noticed that? Absolutely. Oh my God. Yes. We were talking about that earlier today, weren't we? Yeah. Uh, we're victims of that. That's interesting. So you guys have a YouTube presence, is that correct? I stopped posting to YouTube because right after Parkland, we did a show on WSB, which is the regular airwaves, an FCC-regulated station, and they they took it down and they gave me a strike because they said I was bullying Sheriff Israel, who's an elected <laughs> official, you know? Wow. I mean, can't, that's what freedom of speech is. And they said, and, and, I, and Google is a... De- Defense Department operations, so don't tell me it's a private company. And they took me down and would not tell me what the strike was for, and they wouldn't revisit it. And if you get three strikes, you're kind of gone forever, and I didn't want to jeopardize. So I completely capitulated and switched it to making uh, craft cocktail videos. So <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a good option. Probably monetized. Yeah, they, that's the kind of corrupting the youth that they're okay oh, yeah. with. Interesting. So, yeah, but, so but you can make drinks, right? Which is. Yeah, as soon as I put videos up there, the monetization is is minimized. And to speak into what you said a moment ago, that giving the mainstream media stuff, yeah, we pulled a, a news story for our show yesterday that the story was about how the beneficiaries of conspiracy theorists getting kind of booted off of YouTube was that Fox News and other mainstream out- outlets are getting all of that traffic. So, like, right. exactly what you said is exactly what's happening, and it's it's all part of what's called the Google News Initiative, which is this basically worldwide effort uh, of Google to control the information by funding all of these initiatives of the outlets they can control. So the mainstream outlets and then the local outlets that are basically fronts for the mainstream outlets, right. they, they get them to where they all show up in the search rankings. They show up at the top, and they train them, and they fund them, and uh, they squeeze everybody else out by doing that. It's really fascinating, too, because they took a huge hit in valuation, like a $70 billion hit just from YouTube in changes after they changed an algorithm. Do you guys know about that story? And well, Jiggy I, kept her, I do not. And she kept her job. So, so a business actually took a, a huge financial hit after making these algorithm changes. And is they that did, when they? Yeah, I seem to recall. Is that when they brought on like tens of thousands of censors around yes, that time? Yeah, because they de- they demonetized a whole bunch of stuff. So all of these places that they because they're when they demonetize a content creator, they're not able to. They're not selling their ads, right? So they yeah. are. They contracted their own base, and one of the oddities of their decision is that people went to YouTube because it's not the mainstream media. It's not the corporate media. So they're actually moving against, people went there to see unique, 
you know, bizarre type videos and they don't, you know, people wanted to ask questions. So now. And the ads were disconnected. Absolutely. Nobody held the advertiser responsible for the content because they knew that's not how the model worked. Right. That's true. And they're blaming the advertisers, but it's not believable. Well, there was, yeah. I mean, what did they call it? The, the ad apocalypse or whatever, but it was really based upon very few complaints. Um, it seems like there were very few complaints and then they contracted all the advertising, but it's part of this larger agenda. I think that you guys are really keyed into where you're only going to get, you know, one of the six main corporate bodies, whether it's Microsoft, Disney, they're going to tell you what to believe. And if they were really after stuff that would upset an advertiser or stuff that's really bad for vulnerable listeners, watchers, viewers, they would make it possible. And I will tell you, I have three kids. They're teenagers, young teenagers. One of them has Down syndrome. And I have tried everything I could to control what they see on YouTube. And the themes are so dark that it, it, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's their terrible themes to the point where, like, my son's special needs class, they, they ban YouTube. They are, they don't allow it. They don't, they tell the parents, don't let your kids watch YouTube. They, and I, and my son, there's like one channel that he tries to avoid and he says, I just try to watch My Little Pony and it keeps, you know, there's like the dark side of My Little Pony and, you know, it has really bad things. And he said, it just, I keep canceling it and it keeps coming back. So if they really wanted to fix this stuff, they could. And I think it's actually the opposite. I think they make it so it does go into that more addictive, darker place for kids, but not for political free speech. So I don't buy their line at all. I don't either. I totally agree with you. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Incredible because they kids can still access really dark stuff. There's all kinds of pedophile. All they stuff. have to do is rate yeah. it. You know, they all they have to do is rate it like TV and movies are. It's not that hard. If they, it, it's much harder to figure out that I'm bullying an elected official in real time. I mean, how are they pulling that down immediately? Yeah, it's so well, the kids channels, figure out kids. ways around all of that stuff from from what I've learned. Yeah, but but YouTube doesn't have to. Are they finding a way to watch my video that was taken down? Yeah, like, yeah well, but I mean, yeah. isn't aren't these changes going to just make people rely less on these uh, formerly ex- uh, acceptable to kind of fringe ideas? People are going to go even farther fringe to bit shoot or alternate tech. Isn't that really? See, I think that up? stuff's a setup. I think that they deliberately put the really extreme stuff in there because they want to. It's like a honeypot. You know, they actually create conspiracy theories that are are just bottomless pits they put a lot of material in it to divert you into these these uh, sections of the maze that's never going to get you to the end interesting Wait, so you mean people going over to bit shoot like like nazi channels and stuff like right, that adam, have you seen the adam Wadham, adam waffen videos on bit shoot i mean it's like super there's hard, some right? crazy videos on yeah. bit shoot yeah, and Crazy. I think yes, I think people who do the extreme radical stuff are going to end up on some of those platforms. I I have stuff on BitChute. I hadn't looked at my page in a while. I looked at it the other day, and I was like, I, I was surprised at the amount of views that I had gotten. It's not like a lot, but it was more than I had expected. But looking around on the site is is, I mean, it's extreme as soon as you get there. So, well, but Binkley, didn't we find that? I, I wish I had my finger on this uh, evidence right now, but there was a British company that was making, or yeah, a British company that was making radical Islamic videos for YouTube for the Middle East, and they were doing it on behalf of military intelligence. Who, when they were caught, later claimed that we were doing that to monitor how it infiltrated the system. And then yeah. the company that created it said we didn't have any monitors on it whatsoever. We were just releasing it. We weren't tracking it. There was no research involved, yeah, and they were yeah. making them. That's why I think that they're doing the exact same thing. If you look at the, the Defense Department has this um, analysis on memetics, on memes, and it says that they use it to enhance dysfunctional subcultures. They say they only wow. use them abroad, but I think there's evidence, <laughs> plenty of evidence that they, they use the same tactics here at home as they use abroad, and that's what they're trying to do openly by classifying white nationalism and lumping it with conspiracy theories and saying that that stuff is domestic terrorism and should be exempt from the civil liberties that are assured by the Bill of Rights. 
Yeah, that's that's what makes me nervous. And so that's the kind of stuff that then they can use these tactics like a FISA court or propagandizing or radicalizing or enhancing dysfunctional subcultures to entrap people. But what they really do is prey on the vulnerably, mentally uh, vulnerable and make things worse so they can they can have their strategy of terror. And that's what we did in World War One is leading up to World War One. The British were propagandizing us. They they had the most sophisticated propaganda operation, and they were propagandizing us to get us into World War One. Their correspondence they wrote between a guy named Sir Gilbert Parker, who was the main guy over here for the British, uh, back and forth with a, a guy named uh, Lord Wellington uh, at the Wellington House. And, and they, they talk about how gullible the Americans were for buying into everything they were doing. But the, the way that they inoculated us from, from seeing it was that – they told us that everything that we saw was German propaganda because Germans were terrible at propaganda in World War One. World War Two, they were good at it. World War One, they were terrible at it. And since they were terrible at it, it was easy to spot. And so everything that they did not – any um, inconvenient truth, uh, unpatriotic facts, they would just say, oh, that's evil German propaganda. Meanwhile, uh, the British are subtly manipulating us into a war that the country didn't want to go to. We were neutral right, before that. Right. It's fascinating you say that because I did a lot of Crowley research, and he was actually involved as a British a British agent in New York, writing ridiculous German propaganda to do just that. So he's probably yeah. one of these guys' assets, writing for the Fatherland, writing for the New York Times. I mean, uh, so it's pretty amazing that you yeah, that, that's it. similar to what Monica just said. It's putting somebody up there to to say stuff to pretend to be uh, German or to pretend to be the left or to pretend to be the right and. Uh, Right, bad propaganda. <laughs> right. Well, he said, "What did he said? He was he he would he left Crowley left the U.S. after he after the sinking of the Lusitania, which he came to the U.S. on. But he said my work was done once the war started. I was done, and that's why he left because he was uh, he was not an MI6, MI5. He was actually a precursor called the Special Intelligence Service. But he said that yeah he he wrote if he wrote in his confessions he said i I was a propag- basically not verbatim he said he says I was a propagandist who engaged in uh ridiculous things and he was actually did these pro irish things as a as a german citizen but then there was a, a book by secret agent six 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 where uh the u s government knew full well that he was a British agent working under the aegis of their intelligence agency engaged in propaganda it's incredible. So is Stuff, occultism yeah. not real? Is that what you're saying, well, that he no, is a fraud from top well, to that, bottom? That, well, we can get into that argument because some people think that, <laughs> that his occultism was a front for his intelligence activity. Or was it the inverse? Right. Is that yeah. his inte- he was an right. occultist and intelligence was very easy for him because he had a very fluid moral Code or well, I'll have to set aside a couple of hours to talk about yeah. that. I was reading about Jack Parsons recently and just, oh my gosh, I want But it's want interesting more. to look all the I mean, I'm glad you went all the way back to World War One, Brad, because this stuff is happening. Public manipulation, fake things, and you don't, we really don't know how many of these shooters or people went crazy were due to propaganda that was created by our own government, right? Yeah, we don't know what they're not- reading. I don't People, know. they act like it's unreasonable to question whether something happened, yet they tell us deep fakes are, are going to, you know, we're never going to know what a video is real or not because of deep fake. And then we have, we go back throughout history. There's a story called, there's a book called uh, Falsehoods in Wartime. It was written shortly after World War One, and it just documents all of the lies that were told, all the things that were staged and that were faked. Edward Bernays writes in one of his books, um, I think it's Public Opinion. The, and he, he writes about how the public believed the sensational lies they made up and the stories that they told and how they recycled old stories from back in the 1700s and they would uh, put them in newspapers and how, how they would change the headlines of uh, that were under the captions underneath pictures to, to completely different stories to make them out to be tragedies when they weren't that at all. So they've been making stuff up. They've been using atrocity propaganda for centuries, yet they try and convince us that uh, even questioning whether or not something real is like immoral or wrong. Interesting. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you can take it all the way to this whole Russia hoax and even the foundations of this Mueller report are based upon hysteria and kind of fact-free propagandizing that really took oh, hold all over. Wouldn't you say that? Yeah, the most the most important thing I felt about the Mueller report, I mean, the uh, it's all I really needed to see was these 
I think they're called 302 reports. Did uh, did you happen to catch that, William? I, no, I was no, tell me. talking about. So if you look at, I, I just read the Mueller report and I noticed that it, it just had a different style from the Ken Starr. You know, you could get into that Ken Starr, Whitewater, and the sure. Clinton stuff, Monica Lewinsky. Totally different subject, but just as far as well, like similar. reading these kind of independent counsel things are very interesting. But please continue. Sir. Yeah. So, but but just even reading the report, I was reading the Mueller report, and I'm thinking, well, where is the evidence? You know, I'm a big fan of footnotes and stuff. And I went back to the Ken Starr report, and when they talked about Linda Tripp, they would talk about her testifying. She testified that blah blah blah. But it didn't say that with the Mueller report. It's actually written like a narrative. So I went and looked at the footnotes. I'm like, how am I supposed to believe any of this stuff? And what they were were these 302 reports, which is – and I looked into that, and that's a very controversial method. It's common. It's it's everywhere, but it's controversial, and this is why. An FBI agent can have a conversation with you, and at any point, like even – up to several months later, write up a 302 of the conversation. I think it's 302 and not 320. I'm almost positive. No, it's 302. 302. But, You're right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it. So you can. He can write up this account of the conversation, which may or may not have be a true reflection of what you said. And it's even been uh, problematic because people will be in a in a jury situation. Somebody will be a witness testifying at a at a trial. And they'll testify, and then the 302 report will be produced and say, why did you say this to this FBI agent? And they'll say, well, I didn't say that. So it says right here, you said it. So then then it creates a real problem in court because the witness is like, I did not say that. And they're like, it's right here. It's like Comey writing in his notebook outside. So it's actually double hearsay on people who have political agendas and conflicts of interest. So you have somebody saying that they heard Trump say something, and then you have this FBI agent scribbling it down on the back of a matchbook. And typing it up, and then so you know this was the FBI agent saying that Chris Christie said that Donald Trump said this thing. That that to me was I, I would just roughly say if you could even eyeball the footnotes at least in the second half of the Mueller report, which is what I focused on. I would say eighty percent of them is just three hundred two. God, it's just incredible. The whole thing it is, is a total yeah. joke. I mean, it's and then the other twenty percent is news reports, <laughs> right? But some right, of them and they're all anonymously sourced as well, I, and that's the mind control <laughs> I know, aspect. But I mean, oh. But didn't they, they get busted? The FBI didn't they get busted planting the... their own news sources and then relying right. on it? So yes. it's just incredible. The Mueller and report's like, incredible. Yeah. If you know the Star Report, Kavanaugh worked on the Star Report and did all the yeah. footnotes. So all William, those foot- yeah, so all those you know, foot- what? It backs up that Kavanaugh thing. Miguel Rodriguez wrote how the Vince Foster murder uh, was not, or the Vince Foster investigation was a suicide, was baloney, and he resigned right. and yielded to, he wrote that, his memo to Kavanaugh. Oh, interesting. Who then covered it up. Well, and I don't Vince know if the Vince Foster you, thing well. is one of the, they're, they're doing this thing now over the past couple of days where all the, all the left wing news outlets will say Trump's spouting off dangerous conspiracy theories again, and they'll put a big list up on the on the screen. And there's been an article in the New York Times, I think the Washington Post also, that's also had a big long list of the crazy conspiracy theories that Trump has promoted. And one of them is Vince Foster was killed by the Clintons. Uh, and it's all a bunch of conspiracies that, like, I would say probably 70% of them. Are not crazy at all. Crazy at all. Well, I don't know if you guys know this, but I was in D.C. at the time, and I worked for the lawyer who did an addendum to the Star Report. His name was John Clark, and I sat down with Patrick Knowlton. I knew Patrick Knowlton face to face, who was the witness at Fort Marcy Park, who saw something that the FBI. Was oh, just, yeah. So yes. I, yeah, I've done interviews on that. But uh, wow. Yeah, no. So I knew all those guys. I worked. I actually delivered. If you look up the Star Report, okay, so what happened? The Star Report went, and it went to the District Court of D.C., which is a springboard to the Supreme Court. That's where Kavanaugh made his way to. That's the federal three-man judge court. When they reviewed, I think it was something having to do with Star, they added the Clark addendum. You can look it up online. It's still there. Clark's still around. Ed Opperman interviewed Clark and Knowlton twice. And I knew that. I mean, I can tell these stories that would blow your mind. So... I was the one who delivered that to all members of Congress. So it was both the senatorial offices and the, the congressional offices. I hand delivered, I handed those things to people like Levin. I handed it to, uh, Arlen Specter's office, all these people, everybody at that time, that was 1996 or seven. So, um, I know the Vince Foster murder. Well, very that, well. that, 
that was the smoking gun, those guys. And they said later that they were disrespected and abused. Oh, no. There were guys, there were guys who followed Nelson around with black briefcases and intimidated him. They wanted Jeez. him to know they were taking pictures of him. So they were intimidated. I mean, yeah. he had the pictures. That's not that's what they said in the Epstein case. Well, they don't. They, the thing is, is that's not public information. That's not something Knowlton wants to tell the public. That's true, though, because I saw it firsthand. Ah. And uh, oh man, he was that. If you walk, all you have to do to, to to look at the Vince Foster report is walk out to Fort Marcy Park. Fort Marcy Park got its name because it was a Civil War um, fort, and it was they used to make these forts out of tree, uh, you know, tree stumps or whatever, like tree fallen trees, yeah. and so it's a big thing. Wow. And he was, he was in a position that nobody could ever have done what he did to do. It was on the other side of a berm. It just, the whole thing is, just, and it was all shaped. It, I mean. And even uh, the description of the car and stuff oh, was. The gun they, is in his hand. He's a left-handed right hand. When anybody shoots himself, yeah. the gun flies off about four feet. That's your standard when they find a body. The whole thing was, it looked like somebody was trying to set up a, you know, a Hollywood style death. Like somebody who didn't know uh, forensics or anything, it just. William, goes, I, you, hey man, it you gets. Said Knowlton? Yeah, Patrick Knowlton. Is he is he related is he related to Hill and Knowlton, the PR firm? No, not at all. Okay. He was okay. uh, he actually was in the same apartment complex as Clark. I used to li- I licked all those stamps and envelopes and everything that went to Congress. I was the one who did all the. I was a uh, just a simple clerk, you know, legal clerk. I was just totally naive. I you know. And- it was That's incredible. fascinating. No, it's an amazing story. So the, the that was really one of their first hits. That was it. You know, they probably lured him out. And it goes back. I did a couple shows on on Vince Foster um, before the 2016 election. So, you know, he must have known something about Whitewater and all these things. And I actually mentioned McDougal in a conversation I had with Roberta Glass just earlier thing because one of the early um, – Clinton body count desk was a guy by the name of Jim McDougal, who was known Whitewater, kind of a financier out of, I think he was the Arkansas Development Fund, AIDFA. And he was in jail and literally people said a helicopter flew in, people got out, walked into the jail cell. He was dead of a heart attack and they just left. And so, you know, something like that could have happened to Epstein. So, yeah, it definitely could have. Yeah, so anyway, don't tell Vince Foster and all those things. The footnotes done by Kavanaugh revealed, if you want to get into the footnotes, Monica, read the footnotes of the Star Report. It was Star Report I love because footnotes. That's where all the meat is. It is. Well, so Kavanaugh. But the Kavanaugh thing yeah, was but a no, it's a person, Monica, it's a personal thing. When they went after Kavanaugh, it was personal because he put all of Clinton, Bill Clinton's sexual peccadilloes in the footnotes. The seven girlfriends he had. The, I would peel it further and say that that stuff was a distraction from what really went on, like the Barry and the boys stuff, the oh, yeah. Barry oh, seal awful. stuff. Oh, yeah. There's all, yeah, it just gets, you get into the Mercury underworld. Dude, that the thing was about, the thing Barry about Mena and, and Barry is that he was one of many. Do you, if that, do you people yeah. think that that was one minor transshipment yes, point? Right. It, that, that stuff's happening. And people say, Oh my God, this, this small airport is corrupt. How do you think tons of cocaine are coming into the United States? Through LAX or something, they're smaller airports, man. Oh, yeah. So anyway, you don't get me. Yeah, started. we were talking earlier about how they presented this prison in the news as though it were stellar and had a great reputation, and they were just shocked that there could have been some, uh, you know, Malfoy's some bad yeah. stuff going on. That it's just incompetence. When that's not true, there's been corruption at this prison oh. for for forever, really. A lot of prisons are very corrupt. You know, oh, and I mean, gosh. the thing is, is, you can you can if they if you have unlimited funds, everybody has a number and some anything could happen. And Epstein was in jail. He was arrested for July 6th and died. So he there was a month for people to just figure things out, man. And there's complete. These stories are super conflicting. And that's very well, telling that's in itself. But, so yeah. clearly something's up. Right. I yeah. mean, even if you say that he committed suicide in that place and he wasn't on suicide watch. Right. That that, that already is right. just a level of that's not right. And it's right. beyond incompetent. It's just there's something wrong. So, you know, there is something wrong. Right. And then they've given us they've spoon fed us m- numerous complicated conspiracy theories. And you and I mean, I myself, I'm on Twitter. Everybody's tweeting at me. They're different ideas. And I'm saying. I'm not getting stuck in the quicksand of the conspiracy theory. And they'll say, but this is the one, this is the this truth. Is you know? Exactly what happened, right? Never going to know. 
Well, I told Roberta Glass it's like Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express. It's not who did it, but everybody probably wanted it. Yes, there's nice. Tons of, there's tons of names involved yeah. that never came out. Bill Mayer, all these people are, are affiliated with these guys and going to that island. Imagine how many people needed him to go away. There's yeah, we talk, we've talked about this a lot on our show, uh, that the plea negotiation letter that nobody ever talks about because they didn't want to make it a Clinton scandal – the names on the plea negotiation letter, which are the people vouching for him that helped him get that sweetheart deal, that's what really helped him get that sweetheart deal. Not, yeah. Alexander Acosta was a small player. Yeah. Um, the names on that are the Rockefeller Foundation, the Trilateral Commission, wow. the Council on Foreign Relations, and uh, it cites Epstein as being one of the members who uh, conceived of the Clinton Global Initiative, right. and it cites his friendship with Bill Clinton. Right. Yeah, so it goes to the top and all these very powerful foundations. Did you ever read that he was an informant for Mueller? I did see that. Yeah, so that's another thing. So it's like Mueller's tied in. It's the Bush, right? So it was under the Bush administration. So why did this kind of lenient thing happen? I feel sorry for Acosta in a way because I feel like he was just probably told what to do. That's Binkley's view. I think yeah. they're all kind of yeah. I don't think he had much of a choice, but yeah. the 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 Florida cops were the they were horrified that this happened. They said they never saw so much evidence in their lives in ever any case, and they could and, and they had so many victims and physical evidence, everything. They were really pissed. Now the guy who was the most pissed happened to die at the age of fifty not too long ago. Right, but I remember that, but yeah. I think. The I do think that the Epstein case points out something that I almost even wonder is really real, but that I do think it's real. It's the three-dimensional chess thing. It's where he – don't forget who his handler or procurer or whatever was, is Ghislaine Maxwell, right. whose father – Maxwell also, I was listening to 21st Century Wire, and they pointed this out. I can't believe I didn't, like, snap to that. Her father also supposedly suicided himself when scandal was descending upon him. But he was supposedly a Mossad super spy, which is what they say about Epstein, that they were getting to these Americans or uh, high-level UK or whatever as a way of getting, debriefing them, blackmailing them, whatever, because... at whatever level they were operating, there was factionalization. And Wexner, I don't know what his story is, but he, you know, all roads lead to Wexner. Right. Well, he's the one who actually, de- who deeds a $70 million mansion yes. to a guy without being paid? How does that happen? And then it was in the paper that he had something to do with his brother, Mark Epstein, right. having uh, what's probably a $20 million or many times that, a 16-story apartment building in New York. I, the Wexner yeah. was behind every rock of uh, Epstein's alleged wealth, and there right. and there's, there was nobody else. Well, no, people, like he's kind of like a mystery player on the financial part of New York because nobody can really find... Anybody other right, than Wexner. Wexner? Yes. Right. Right. So exactly. how does this? How does this guy come out? I mean, there's been other. In, yeah, people have flat. He's out. a front. Yeah, he's a front. Seems like. To I me. mean, there's I mean, so many right. stories about the, the, the blackmailing things going on. So you know, nobody likes to get blackmailed. That's what I told somebody else. If if he had blackmail <laughs> material on people, people yeah. are angry. Can you imagine some of these guys who are blackmailed in the in the yeah, two thousand page point. filing? There was a billionaire. I can't remember his name offhand, but. Can you imagine having to sit down at the table with your wife and your kids and explain why yeah. you're in the news? People will pay yeah, yeah. five million, ten million, nothing. That's nothing to those guys. The guy were two and billion. Even, I mean, if you're talking about people in the government, you really don't have to pay anything. Right. I mean, so yeah. So there's there there are a lot of people sweating and a lot of people breathing sighs of relief you know, that Epstein's dead. But I, there's still. I, I wouldn't be surprised if more cover up stuff happens, more strange things, more yeah, weird yes, fires. I think that this is, yeah. Just the beginning. I and mean, who knows about what will come out about his estate, how the other girls, the, the people, the witnesses, the victims will be disgraced. I mean, I hope that at least they're paid off. I would rather them just take the money and walk away because they're not going to win in the court of public opinion. That Brad Edwards, the lawyer, I, I, I wish him well, but I, I I would love to talk to him, see what, what the plan is. Right. But something I found interesting in parallel with the smiley face killer stuff that you have done so much work on is that it seemed to me like uniquely straight 
straight guys who like young girls, not necessarily fetish stuff, not gay stuff, not pedophilia. They call it pedophilia. It's not pedophilia. It's it's statutorily underage girls, but post pubescent, which I think is an I, I just feel like that's something, you know, it's not the same as like that. I don't know if you're familiar really with the 140 UK dossiers of politicians in the Thatcher era that disappeared yeah, of that they were pedophiles and pederasts. Yeah. Remember, remember that, that story, very yes, after Jimmy Seville died, right? No, it was way before that. Oh, it was it was, before Jimmy Seville. Yes, I mean I'm not saying it's not related, but it was a fantastic scandal, and it just was totally underreported. But I just I feel like, and the Franklin cover up. I mean, I feel right. like they actually they there's almost like different classifications, but he seemed to have just gone for the. Straight guys like right, them. and pe- people don't believe it happens unless it's a, a, a Catholic church. Yeah, it's been right. happening. If you read <laughs> Plato, like it, it's the most unbelievable mind expanding thing. What about at, the Boy at Scouts? One moment, then, yeah. but then, like right after that, it's like there's there's uh, you know there's pedophilia in in these ancient Greek philosophy. It's so they and the Boy Scouts just had it was like the buried in the newspaper. Boy Scouts had this a huge scandal, huge, huge scandal. And I mean, I don't know if it has to do with their their changing policies to be more progressive or whatever that they want to bury it because part of social engineering is to not really openly look at some of these things, but. They don't treat it like you're right. The Catholic Church. I mean, it's just it's the, the stuff that rises to the level of media attention always is first curated by what the agenda is. Right. I just wanted to go back to Robert Maxwell. The the book is Assassination of Robert Maxwell, Israel Super Spy, nice. by Gordon Thomas and Martin Dillon. So Martin Dillon, when they published that book, guess who savaged the book in I think the New York Times in 2002. Guess who was the the writer. Who uh, attacked the book? Alan Dershowitz. Yes, perfect. I didn't know that. Sounds so good. So good. So you, you got to look that up. So anyway, look on my website because I'm about to upload an article that Martin Dillon. I was going to say Michael Wolf. No, that was good. Close. That's, that's the one close. I was thinking. Yeah, close. Wolf. Close second. But uh, I'm going to upload something from Martin Dillon because he almost wrote a book about Epstein back in 2010. So the same well, guy who wrote about. Bring it, Mart. Pardon me. I want to hear. I want Martin to write that book. Uh, well, I don't think it's going to happen, but I, I would suspect there'll be five books to come out within the next six months. But did you know that Elaine had a sister, Isabel, who's in San Francisco? Yeah. Yeah. So she's she's got other relatives somewhere around the U.S. Do you sure. think that they will ever find her? Not her sister, but Maxwell. I don't know. I don't think so. If she's smart, she's not going to. They're probably trying to find her and oh, file against she's her. She's the one they're looking for right now. Oh, yeah. Maybe. Maybe. There is no Mark Epstein and there is no Isabel Maxwell. Maybe these people are now living those lives. As their brother and sister. All of a sudden, oh, you hear yeah. all of a sudden the siblings emerge. Yeah, interesting point. Well, I, there, I read somewhere that Mark Epstein is the beneficiary of his brother's, whatever's remaining of his brother's $550 million, which nobody knows where that came from. I think it'll be interesting how the finances get just ignored yeah. or covered up. Yep. I mean... How's that work? You inherit a sex island? Yeah. Sex island? Well, did you know that Epstein bought another island other than that one? That there was a recent acquisition? Yeah. Yeah. There's so many sketches. I don't know. I don't know. know But, you know, he was down to one plane. But if you look at, there was a public, Bradley Edwards did a public kind of, uh, uh, you know, video where he had all of what Epstein owned. And there's like helicopters, planes, tons of boats. I mean, it's like a like a villain, like some kind of super villain. Yeah, yeah, it really is. <laughs> and there's no there's no trace of where it came from, like the oh. SEC filings and all that, which is makes well, no sense. Do you know what's other the castle let's see document? His tax returns. Yeah, let's see mm-hmm. his tax returns. That'll be interesting. But do you know that that uh, Epstein was going to in one of his routes, his international routes, that he was going to Tangier in Morocco. No. Yeah, so no. in the Castle filings, there's a map of all these places where they knew Castle was like one of the big guys other than Boys. Boys Flexner, Boys was involved in busting Avenatti, who tried to threaten Boys with criminal prosecution over the whole Nike transaction, which is a total <laughs> joke. Avenatti's just 
I mean, I don't want to get into that. Anyway. Binkley loves loves to to pull the thread on Avenatti. Well, so he threat you know he threatened boys with criminal prosecution, which is illegal, and then boys and then he left, and then boys invited him back to threaten him again, which was the FBI was there to record him. So Avenatti walked right back into the the mouse trap and said the same <laughs> stuff like an idiot. I mean, it's just incredible. Anyway, the go look. I'll send you the castle maps, but he's stopping in Changer. Mm. So there's an element there. There may be more. They may be not all be little girls, because Northern Africa is oh, a known, yeah, okay. known place to find little boys. That made sense because I don't feel like he's one of a group of guys in charge of luring in people of one predilection or another. I feel like he is working for a competing entity at that level, and uh, it would make sense if he had a variety of Alrighty. products. Did you hear that Roberts and Roberts said that both Elaine and Jeffrey Epstein wanted her to have a baby and that she would be the, mm. uh, they would take care of the baby and they would pay her $200,000 a month no questions asked, but they would be the parents. Who who did they want to have the baby? The the one of the primary accusers, Virginia Robert, oh. Roberts Jufre. You know, I'd heard that he wanted to seed an entire island. Well, that That's just true. seems Offspring. like baloney. Well, she actually said it, so I don't know. I mean, oh, Robert said no. I mean, the seeding oh. the island thing. I thought oh, was right. well. I think just, he, he was into transhumanism. I mean, the guy is connected. Are man. you sure? When did that first emerge? That story that's something was that, that you... he wanted to have twenty women. He wanted to have like a when? little baby factory. When did you first read that story? This it. stuff is too new for me to. I it's I read it. I read it recently, but I'm just saying I we've Binkley and I have been looking at this guy for years now. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we would have these things that are ha- coming out now unless they were in the unsealed documents, I want to see like the first reference to it because I feel like there's a lot of misinformation and right. counter misinformation being released into the <laughs> yeah. into the well, echo I would chamber. Agree with that. This is uh this is from the Guardian August 1st, 2019. Epstein ho- reportedly hoped to develop super race of humans with his DNA. But what? Where is their source? Is that is okay. my question? It's like to where? The New York Times aftermath of his 2008 sex trafficking conviction, hoped to see the human race. The the newspaper reported in the major investigation. So it's from the New York Times. Yeah, but they're not given a source, and I just I have to say, like I'm super skeptical. Okay, well you can be skeptical of that, but the guy who <laughs> wrote it is James B. Stewart, who's a very legit journalist who's going to write a book about the whole Mueller report. It's coming out in January. Yeah, I'm 1st. not I'm not impugning him. I'm just saying that if his source is the New York Times or no, whatever, no, no, I'm not. True. I certainly am not taking that <laughs> to the bank. That's true. Well, we're at 47 minutes. Do you want to ask me some questions about the Smiley Face Killers? Anything specific? Anything you want to know? I, I did have like a couple of questions that I wanted to, that like I was left saying, well, but maybe, but maybe, you know? So I'm going to, but maybe you, but even though I'm not as skeptical, I just would like the clarity that, so the Smiley Face Killer documentary, you showed that they're all males who were missing and then found dead in water. Correct. And, and it's a pattern that was overlooked a lot of times because it happened in so many different jurisdictions. Correct. So uh, there's a couple of points of clarity and then a couple of, but, but what if? So the one, number one question I had is, so there are ma- the majority of these deaths still considered accidents to your knowledge? Correct. That's correct. Most, okay. But they're, still, they're slowly changing. There's been a few that have changed. So Dakota James in Pittsburgh, uh, Christopher Jenkins in Minneapolis, the police chief changed the designation. And to the credit of the police in um, Columbus, Ohio, the Joey Labute was actually not caused an accident. It was an unknown cause of death. So they are upgrading. And the FBI and the Secret Service were involved in Dakota James's uh, when the mom went to go talk to the cops there. So the, there is a federal involvement when the, some of these bodies more recently are being found. The FBI is involved, and I say that to their credit. Yeah it's, like, yeah, it's basically the only justification I can think of for federal police force or involvement in police activity at the federal level. But and there may be a for time... people who aren't familiar with it, uh, why is it called the Smiley Face Killers? So it got its name. So it became known as the Smiley Face Killers because there were two people primarily involved who did an excellent six-part series on the Oxygen Channel that came out this year about the Smiley Face Killers, which I highly recommend people watch. Uh, there are two. One is Jeff Gannon, and he had a, a his detective partner was named Anthony Duarte in New York City, 
and another guy who his name was Gilbertson, who was in Minnesota, both saw the same pattern of young men disappearing and being found in water. And the first case was a McNeil guy in New York City, and Gilbertson saw the same thing happening in college towns where guys would be out at night drinking and then disappear only to be found in water later. So they got in touch with each other independently. So Gilbertson reached out to Gannon, and they wrote a book called Case Studies in Drowning Forensics. And Gilbertson is a trained criminologist, so they took a very detailed analysis. But um, it got its name, the Smiley Face Killers, because associated with some of these deaths, there has been a smiley face typically spray-painted somewhere near where the body goes into the water, not necessarily where the body is found. So upstream or some other place, there's some type of graffiti. And uh, they've actually said they found 12 other identifying markings, which is not a public knowledge. Mm -hmm. But they say that they found other things there as well. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I talk about my documentary, at least a half an hour, about the occult aspect of what the smiley face represents. Do you have time for two quick questions that I really have? Go. You got, okay. Quick, uh, when bodies pop up in previously searched areas, have you uh, been able to plausibly eliminate the possibility of currents and drift Absolutely. in the more suspicious cases? Absolutely. Okay, Absolutely. some of them are upstream, well, so those right. are obvious. So in the case of Dakota James is a perfect example. That is um, somebody uh, disappeared, I think it was a 2017th disappearance on a gay app, possibly Grinder. I don't know. I don't have subpoena power, but... Uh, on a gay app, he was acknowledged as a gay younger man and a call at going to Duquesne. Last seen, disappeared for 40 days, found in an area that had previously been searched that weekend, weekend downstream, but a normal floating object would have, would have traveled that distance in three days. All right, here's and, my last question. Yeah, and his body, and Cyril Wecht actually saw the body and said he had a ligature mark around his neck, which... And uh, he's the yeah. expert, yeah. Well, I would say so Cyril here- Wecht has not been... Um, discredited to my knowledge yeah here's the last question if are there not an equal number of females in the same demographic also missing and found dead in water i mean is that just not to so, my knowledge so right, okay. I, there that's kind of the distinguishing phenomenon distinguishing this phenomenon in all if the larger pool of people disappearing is that yeah if it just happened to random people you would expect right. to have at least almost half female correct so why is it men? Yes. There is a strong uh, correlation. Be- not all the victims are homosexual, but there is a strong correlation between that su- subsection of, uh, of of the po- general population and these types of deaths. So a lot of these people are on Grinder. Like uh, Joey Labute was on a gay app. A lot of these guys, there's associations with these gay apps, which are really dangerous, which is why I talked about Stephen Port. Who was a, a predatory serial killer in London? Who was on gay apps under a variety of different names? And really, he his murder victims. He would actually go onto social media and monitor the friends of his victims and try to see if they were on the right track to point him out or anything like that. <laughs> Super creepy. Yeah. Does the artwork in all the cases does it have similar signatures or similar features? Well, it's hard to say. You know, it's hard to say some of the artwork. They, I think that Gilbertson and Gannon have things that they're keeping close to their chest, but um, I think that a lot of them are spray painted. So there are things there. There, there are definitely some correlations. I don't. I think you can still you can take away the artwork, and you are still left with the same phenomenon. And yeah. the people have tried to debunk it, but the lists are out there. There's ten people at least researching these, keeping very detailed spreadsheets with dates names times and there's probably two to three hundred global victims in sydney australia there is like 70 people have been found in the in that bay the sydney bay uh with a higher proportion of uh men and something's happened in manchester they call it the different name they call it the pusher phenomenon of young men being found in the canals there's tons of canals in manchester so it is a there is a global element. There's a real. I mean, if you look at you can go through my YouTube channel and see my research, and there's a really good uh, posting by a girl by the name of Elise Soper who runs the Cryptid Antiquarian blog, and she wrote about uh, the young men drowning in Boston alone, which you know, huge college town, and uh, she had something like two thousand hits, lots of people commenting. People were going, yeah, there's a problem. And like Zach Marr was one of the young men who was downtown. 
and uh, disappeared. And there's all kinds of sketchy things involved. So it's super dangerous uh, for young men, just as long as it's, as much as it's dangerous for a young women or anybody, really. I think one of the reasons why this phenomenon keeps happening is that the younger men don't feel like they're in any danger yeah. before they get good point. before they get GHB'd, right? So they're at a bar. And there's a lot of yeah. like near misses. There's a lot of different stories, but I do think that uh, if you take out all of the other aspects of these cases, because there doesn't seem to be a financial incentive in any, any, um, in any way or any, there does seem to be some taunting on social media through, uh, through texts and things like that. But really, it's about, I think, really about, um, about. Uh, the like kind of like what these uh, men have an idea as an ideal, you know, as these younger, typically athletic, skinnier than even the central mean BMI body mass index that are like even farther. Gilbertson, Gilbertson, and and Gannon and Duarte were on uh, Doctor Oz talking about their show and Doctor Phil, so people can probably see those segments about the smiley face killer. So they've done a really great job. Um, I think that they've. Where they've fallen short is not seeing the enormity of the the problem and how many people have died in different parts of the country because uh, different parts of the world really because I have had these case, I've looked at cases in the UK Europe and they just keep happening so somebody's sharing information through the dark web or somehow how to talk about this technique either through Fet Life or something like that so um, it's really a modern kind of killing and i did a kind of cursory study of gay serial killers in the midwest or really all over a guy by the name of uh eiler dahmer baumeister um and one of these guys had a hundred victims just incredible Jeez. lesser yeah and so you can see all those interviews on my uh, podcast or on youtube but uh what's your youtube channel william ramsey investigates mm-hmm. so i mean my documentary is probably too long but i think I wanted to show that it's not just one serial killer. It's a, it's an mo that somehow it's overwhelming. Yeah, like it's like deeply off the charts, saddening. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, and the, you know it's like uh, people somehow figured out how to commit kind of a perfect crime, and that's really it. You jump them in water. People think it's a drowning. They don't think anything else, and that's and it. And it erases all the evidence, right? So all these other serial killers, the bodies are missing. Like, well, there's 18 missing guys, you know, but in this one, you know, you can trick. Uh, Trick the police and trick observers, I think. I think that's that's really what's happening. So, uh, you know, I did one case. His name was Garcia out of Boston. And they searched this reservoir, which is a very clear reservoir, over and over. And his body just magically materialized right there in a place previously searched. In a very obvious manner. Like, So where was he? How did they miss it? And they keep missing these people. And my, my conclusion is that... They didn't miss anything. They weren't there. They're kept for a time. Yeah. I know. That's what's so disturbing about it. Super disturbing. Yeah, it's creepy. Yeah, it's bad. (laughs) You don't want to become a victim. I mean, people are headed off to college and school again. So I think that if I looked at all these cases, I do think there's a partial, uh, the desire on authorities is not to put people into fear and panic. So they're definitely not talking about it. They're not talking about it like it's a concern. And they can square it away if they say it, it's, it's an accident. It's an accident, absolutely. So um, I do think that there is a phenomenon of women being GHB'd, and women are very uh, cognizant of the fact that they can be drugged. They watch their drinks, but men don't. They don't see themselves as victims, and I think yeah. they should. Yeah. That age, too, reckless and reckless, drinking a lot. It's yep. definitely the easy target. Well, I talked about this one guy uh, who was in my documentary that how did he key in to find his victims at 2 a.m. at bars, you know? How did he know that that was the place to go? So somehow he had figured out either just being at bar that people, men are vulnerable at that time. And he literally had two victims at the same time in his house. And he was outwardly out, I think he was married. Like he was a he was outwardly well, uh, heterosexual. 
I'll tell you that if somebody just warned me recently, because I love New Orleans, that in New Orleans, the bartenders are in on it. Yeah. They they yes. have their little crimes. They have little uh, crime circles. The bartender will slip the guy a roofie. You don't think about it because the bartender's doing it. And they take the guy, rob him, take his clothes off and dump him someplace far away. I don't know why they take his clothes off. But they take every single thing the guy has wow. and they uh, and he has no memory of it. Yep, there it goes. But See, the bartenders are in on it, right. so they well, can target I, you and right. they can drug you. Yeah, so I think that some of these people, the bartenders, some of the victims of bartenders were in on it, in mm. on the drugging. I was worried about that. And I think that that's dangerous. In New Mexico right now, they're drugging a lot of drinks. People are waking up in their hotel room without their belongings or uh, even worse. So, you know, you yeah, really, so it's happening nothing. all over the world. Yeah, people are getting drugged at these bars. you got to really be careful. Anyway, so we are now at 60 minutes. Uh, great interview. Thanks for sharing all of your knowledge. What, uh, where can people find you online? Find you guys? Well, just the best place to go is thepropreport.com or wherever you like to listen to stuff, go to Propaganda Report and you'll find us there. And at Freedom Act Radio and at Monica Perez Show on Twitter. On Twitter, cool. And again, it's the Prop Report, and I came across the Propaganda Report on uh, iTunes. So. Yeah, yes, that's on it. ITunes they shut down. Report. WordPress shut down our website, so we've had to rebuild, and we use different URLs now. So the PropReport.com is if you want to just go to the website that has kind of everything on it. But Propaganda Report is the name of the podcast on all the listening platforms. All right, cool. And where can our listeners find you? I am on. Um, I am on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, so you can just look up William Ramsey Investigates is my YouTube uh, channel. I've got a ton of information about the Smiley Face Killers. That's free. And my movies are the Smiley Face Killers and also Occult Hollywood. I kind of redid that recently. So if people are interested in all the occult symbolism and numerology in Hollywood, they can take a look at that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool stuff. All right. So it's Monica Perez and Brad Binkley of the Propaganda Report. Thanks so much. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Right. Enjoyed it. All right. Cool.